the hit Paramount Plus original docuseries returns. The last time I saw Max, he looked at us laughing, and then everything changed in a blink of an eye. My feeling as a detective is that he was murdered. Yahoo Entertainment calls it a spine-chilling docuseries, showcasing real-life tragedies. What if it was your child who went missing? We need to know the truth. Never seen again. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one on a Thursday, March the 3rd, 2022. Travis Schreier, senior analyst for BOL, joined on this Thursday by senior team reporter Charlie Potter. Charlie, what do you think about the month of March? You excited? Is it a good month for you? I guess with the arrival of Major League Baseball, typically... I think that's the case, but, uh, you know, these, uh, these million and billionaires still trying to figure some things out, I guess. Yeah. It doesn't look very promising for baseball. Um, that's been a a thing in and of itself to keep up with these days on top of everything else, but March is okay. Um, it's that busy time of year though, where everything's happening at the same time. You have Mm -hmm. basketball, uh, postseason is is beginning and, you know, with NATO's Alabama is going to be back in the NCAA tournament. Baseball and softball seem like they play damn near every day. And then, yeah, we learned today that the football practice is starting up next week. So that, of course, will be something we pay a lot of attention to. Uh, they have that annual Friday practice before spring break that I know the players love. And then they'll have about a nine-day break before they resume practice on the 21st of March. And then, you know, they'll go all the way through eight days. So. Spring practice to look forward to in addition to everything else. And like I said, it's this is the time of year where it's just you want to make sure you're covering all the bases, but it's it's tough. I guess Alabama softball is just not gonna lose a game this year. Alabama softball is just gonna go like fifty five and oh, it looks like, with this I guess sixteen and oh now after the latest win for Patrick Murphy's team and uh fun team to watch. Alabama baseball. We talk about there's plenty of baseball. It's just college baseball, and eventually we'll have some minor league baseball as well. But a much-needed win for Brad Bohannon's club, I'd say, Charlie, on Wednesday after uh, dropping a tough one to UT Martin on the heels of being swept at Texas over the weekend. So maybe some positive traction on the horizon for Alabama baseball. Yeah, no doubt. I think they needed that one. Um, you know, They were able to bounce back after – yeah, they didn't have a, a terrible showing at Texas. The offense was was pretty stagnant, and that might have to do more with Texas than anything else. But to lose a midweek game to UT Martin, uh, but and, and to bounce back like they did, I think is is a little promising. You know, Jacob McNary had a really strong showing against good, Troy. Man. Yeah, and then um, in the offense, like I said, it, it was able to get going. I was actually walking from my car to Coleman when I believe it was Hayslip at the home run in the eighth so uh, or the seventh. And so, um, you know, the bats were able to wake up a little bit and you know, get eight runs across the plate. So it bounced back for them. But you're right with softball. Um, they just keep rolling, man. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a team that I know 
fans enjoy watching a lot. Um, even though I, I know the SEC Network Plus cameras aren't the the best at times whenever they're midweek <laughs> games, but <laughs> I think they'll take what they can get. Yeah, Alabama baseball got that treatment against yeah. Troy, which is fine with me. You know, I mean, it was still okay, still better than nothing. I like the new Viaduct out there in center field at the Joe. You know, that kind of connects 15th to the law school now. Uh, it's kind of Alabama's, it's kind of Tuscaloosa's version of the uh, the Gateway Arch there in St. Louis, you know, out in center field at, at the uh, Cardinals Park. And we might have talked about this, so so listeners might be rolling their eyes a little bit, but they close that during basketball games, which is the damnedest thing. Damn. So, yeah, like I I think it might have been the first home game of the season. You know, I just I went down 15th Street and and turned right there before you get to Taco Bell to to go and use the the bridge. And they won't let you cross it before the game. You think that would be a primary function of the thing, right? You would think. Traffic flow, you would think. Wow, didn't know that. Some news there. Yeah, that that doesn't seem optimal, I wouldn't think. So let's talk some basketball. Speaking of things that weren't optimal, here in the last 24 hours, Alabama in its final home game of the 2021-2022 season thumped in the second half. 52nd half points from Texas A&M. Strong performance from the Aggies. You got to give Buzz Williams and his team a lot of credit because after falling behind by three in the first half, if you were wondering who the hungrier team was, I think you got your answer pretty quickly there in the final 20 minutes. Other than Keon Ellis, uh, Charlie, not a lot of positives to draw on from the Alabama perspective, especially where uh, that second half was concerned on Wednesday night. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right that A&M deserves a lot of credit because um, when you look at just the, the top of the the box score, or at least the stat broadcast, you look at the shooting, Alabama shot the ball pretty well. You're 48% from the field, 33% from the floor. Um, based on some of the struggles they've had offensively this season, they just will take that. It's just the things that he pointed out as really points of emphasis for this game. You know, defense is, is something he's – clearly emphasized of late, um, you know, taking care of the basketball, rebounding. They didn't do a good job in those areas. You know, Alabama turned it over 19 times, which led to 29 points for the Aggies. Uh, they were out-rebounded by nine, and, and then that led to uh, 10, no, 11 more second-chance points for A&M. So yeah. it's a situation where, you know, effort plays like that uh, continue to frustrate Nate Oates. Um, you could tell, you know, certain things in the post game. Um, you know, he was really bothered by. I asked him about turnovers, and he got a little fiery about that, which is to be expected. You know, look at the last three games; they've averaged 18 turnovers per game, and and that's not winning basketball. Even though they were able to win two out of those three, so yeah, it's a it's a situation where he always talks about want to be playing your best basketball in March. And they looked like they were on the cusp of doing that and winning five of the last six, but then to play the way they did against A&M, especially in the second half, it makes you wonder, you know, how this season will end. And Nate has had some really interesting comments after the game, but, you know, talking about his message to the team, you know, he said the end's going to come quick if this is the effort we get. So Alabama has one game left in the regular season going to LSU. Then of course the SEC tournaments next week and then the NCAA tournament, you know, if, if they don't clean things up and, you know, get some leaders to step up and, and, you know, take accountability, Alabama could be looking at three games in the season ending. So 
it'll be interesting to see how this team bounces back. You know, I, I like that you pointed out Keon Ellis. I thought he was big in the second half. He scored uh, 13, but 10 of those came in the second half, and he was two or four from three. It's, you know, Nato's have been talking about the guards, all four of them playing well, and you know the the turnovers were an issue, but you know, Keon's continued to to kind of play well down the stretch. So at least that's a, a positive sign of maybe things to come. How about Nate taking accountability for the leadership yeah, of yeah. this team? That hit me after the thirtieth game of the season. Uh, this is still where you're at in terms of intangibles and and leadership and. Yeah, I think Nate took accountability for that, but I think he also pretty much said that guys that you were obviously counting on to provide that 30 games into the season, you're still not getting it. So there was some responsibility taken by Nate Oates, but I think Nate also shined the light on a couple of his guys as well. Yeah, no doubt. Um, It it is a, a glaring comment to make, you know, with one regular season to go and at the start of March. And and to me, that was, you know, I mentioned the thing he talked about, um, you know, the, the message to his team, but the leadership was what stood out the most to me, too. And, you know, it, it was always going to be tough replacing what they had last year. You know, that was a veteran group with Herb Jones spearheading the effort. You had guys like John Petty and Alex Reese who were you know, in the program for four years uh, that you know, could step up and speak up when needed. And even Jordan Bruner. You know, coming in as a grad transfer from Yale, uh, he provided some leadership for that team. Uh, that was going to be tough to replace. And, you know, I think James Rojas has tried to do that. He, you can obviously see what kind of spark plug he is from an effort standpoint. You know, he's not a guy that you're going to rely on to go out and, and get you a bunch of offense. But, you know, he's going to make some some effort plays that other guys see and maybe try to emulate and, and you know, match that effort. So, and and that's kind of been it. You know, you, you see the players on the court. The body language is obvious whenever things aren't going their way. And, and then that kind of, you know, translates to the rest of the team. Uh, and, and, you know, you're looking at those guards, you know, for that leadership. Guys like Quinterly, Shackelford, Keon Ellis, guys that have been in the program and that are not only your leading scorers, but you're, should be your leaders on the court and in the facilities. So, yeah, what he said afterwards – talking about how he has to do a better job of, of building leaders and helping them to become leaders. And like you said, kind of taking a little bit of ownership and saying that's where he's, he felt like he's somewhat failed this team. Uh, that to me was the biggest takeaway from, from last night's press conference is just that it's kind of the same thing with football. You know, Nick, uh, Nick Saban talked about the youth on this team this past season, and you could tell his frustration at times with the lack of maturity and consistency it's the same thing with, with the basketball team. So leadership's important. Experience is important. Um, you know, they have a lot of experience, but you know, some of that hasn't translated over to leadership and that's been maybe more so than anything else. One of the biggest issues for this team. Yeah. From the football perspective, you kind of got it because of that youth and the inexperience that was looking to step forward, especially on offense, but you just didn't anticipate it to this extent with this, Alabama basketball team not with the experience and the maturity you thought that it had going into the season much as anything we get so caught up in offensive numbers and it's understandable given the way Alabama likes to play but as much as anything it shows up on the defensive end because Quentin Jackson for Texas A&M the latest guy 
with the basketball to pretty much take it into the paint, get to the rim, do just about whatever they want to do off the dribble offensively opposing guards, Iverson Molinar, um, Scotty Pippen Jr., you know, guys that just seem to bully Alabama more so with an emphasis on the perimeter than even the front court where you do have Charles Bediaco still trying to develop. And look, Henry Coleman, the third for A&M on Wednesday night was a big problem in the paint. You know, the Duke transfer uh, had a big game in his own right, but Quentin Jackson and Tyrese Radford, uh, I think they combined for 50 just between them themselves. And then with Coleman, you're talking about 68 points from three Aggies in the game of their 87 points. And look, A&M has shown some improvement on the offensive end, but this isn't the most prolific team, certainly offensively in the SEC. And they scored 50 in the second half and 87 for the game and looked at, made it look too easy, I guess, is my point. It just it doesn't look like it requires much to to really have your way with Alabama defensively, especially the perimeter. No, you're right. And I think that's what the seventh SEC game now that Alabama's given up at least 80 points. And yeah. Yeah, that's not that's not great. And and that's what's led to, to NATO's frustration with the defensive side of the ball, because, again, offensively, it wasn't a bad night. It's just they have to play at a high level on defense uh, to give themselves a chance to win. And, uh, you know, that's just not been consistent, you know, there uh, throughout the season. So it, it's a situation to where. You know, it goes back to the leadership. You you can tell when guys were, you know, when they would turn the ball over uh, because, you know, they knew, like I said, going into this game that that was a point of emphasis is taking care of the ball because uh, A&M was adept at getting steals and forcing those turnovers. Um, when they would turn the ball over, you could see just kind of the, the effort drop off, the, the head drop, and then uh, that led to a lot of you know points for A&M, scoring 29 off of those 19 turnovers. So uh, you're right that A&M isn't some kind of juggernaut. And to play the way they did at home in the final home game of the season, a place where Alabama's played pretty well all year long, only losing twice to, to two top five teams, I think that's probably what frustrated Nate the most is that they had been able – like this team's tough to predict. It's tough to figure out what team you're going to see, but you tough knew they to were going to, yeah, tough, but you, I mean, no you knew they were going to get the kind of effort or at least a, a strong performance at home. Mm-hmm. And for that to be the way that the regular se- or the, the home uh, regular season ended, uh, I, I think that's probably what frustrated him the most. So with the loss, Alabama now 19 and 11 overall, 13 and three at home, nine and eight in the league, still very much safely with inside the uh, projections for the NCAA tournament. But hey, Charlie, you want to take a you want to take a stab at these potential seeding scenarios? <laughs> no, I don't. You're in the middle of the pack because <laughs> you've got six teams in the SEC right now at either nine and eight, three at nine and eight, three at eight and nine. So uh, it looked like Alabama was in really good shape for a five seed mm-hmm. uh, down in Tampa. But who the hell knows right now with Alabama set to go to Baton Rouge and take on eight and nine in the league LSU on Saturday morning. No, that it's difficult to project <laughs> those. And it, it, you know, this could be a situation where Alabama goes down and, and plays with his hair on fire against LSU. Yeah. You know, that's just kind of the team this has been. And they, they haven't played particularly well on the road, but you know, like we just talked about, they played well at home and they just stunk it up at, at Coleman in the final home game of the season. So 
they've played pretty well against LSU in NATO's uh, tenure. You know, obviously everybody remembers last year, you know, beating them in the SEC tournament. Um, but it's it's a situation where they need to to bounce back, or else this thing could get out of control quickly, and this season could end. Um, you know, just with a thud. So it, it is it is difficult to to try to predict this because the middle of the pack in the SEC is just so um, congested right now. And uh, it it did look like Alabama was in really strong position to you know claim a five seed. But going into this game, there was so much openness that Alabama could end up as a five seed in the SEC tournament or as low as I believe a ten seed. So yeah. it's it's completely open to to a lot of possibilities and. You know, it, it's going to be tough to to you know, go into. Well, I mean, you'll you'll know after the game, but ahead of time, it'll be tough to figure out where Alabama is going to play and, and who uh, come SEC tournament time. The good news for Alabama at nine and eight in the league is that it has head-to-head wins over Florida and South Carolina, who are both nine and eight. It already has a win over LSU at eight and nine. It has a split with Mississippi State, one of those three eight and nine teams. Now, it does have the loss to A and M which is in that eight, nine range. Other than that, again, who the heck knows how five through 10 in the seedings for Tampa will play out. What we do know, Charlie, is that up in Indianapolis, the 2022 NFL combine is underway. We've heard from a variety of Alabama members of that contingent. Uh, up there in Indy here in the last couple of days, Evan Neal, Jamison Williams, John Mechie, uh, I thought it's been interesting, a couple of things, uh, with Mechie and Jamison Williams, given the knee injuries that they're both coming off of and the time frames that we heard from both in regards to their return. It sounds like Mechie's is, is very positive you, if you're projecting him for training camp readiness anyway. And, uh, and, and perhaps, you know, that month difference in the time frame of their injuries, you would think. Uh, would help Mechie uh, have a, a little bit of a better chance of being ready in June than, say, Jamison Williams. So I'm going to ask you, of those two, assuming both are ready for training camp, uh, you know, who's the bigger concern for that kind of in- injury? They're, they're not exactly the same type of receiver, is, is I guess what I'm saying here. So who do you think this type of injury uh, could be more problematic for, John Mechie or Jamison Williams? Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that it it won't be an issue for them in the pros, but you know, with that question, I would probably lean more towards Jamison Williams just because his style as a player. Um, I, I believe both of theirs kind of happened on no contact um, yeah. situations, but you know, just the way that you know Jamison accelerates and his his shiftiness, you know, that could maybe put a strain on that ACL. But I mean, medicine and and all of that is the technology is advanced so much just over the last you know, few years. These guys are, are bouncing back quicker. And you're right. Both of them had really promising things to say about their recoveries. Um, you know, shout out to Steve uh, Hellwagen, who, who works for our Ohio State site. But, yeah. uh, you know, he lives up in Indianapolis and I, I'm not in Indy. And he usually you will know, send video of, of just about every player from Alabama. So. Really appreciate him helping us out. And you know, hearing from Jameson Williams yesterday, he said that he thinks he's ahead of schedule. You know, he's six weeks out of surgery. He's been walking. Um, you know, he's a couple of weeks walking without the brace, um, a few weeks without crutches. And 
everything's been going well. And that's one of the reasons, you know, he wanted to still come to the combine, of course, to interview with the teams, but just to show that he's been able to walk around with no issues. And, you know, he, he didn't give any kind of definitive timeline or anything like that. But, um, you know, he, he said he's hopeful that he can be ready come training camp. So um, I think both guys are going to be able to, to play next season, um, whether they're able to you know go through those training camps in what is mid-July. Uh, remains to be seen. I think I would lean more toward uh, John Mechie because he said that, that June was kind of the, the target date for him to be back. So they're coming along well. Uh, that's good news to hear for both those guys because it was just it was tough to see him go down just from a guy that covers them and talks to them from a weekly standpoint. But just from how important they were to Alabama's offense and the success of that unit, um, I think they had used them for sure in that second half against Georgia. Yeah, you know, I, I can see it both ways in terms of the concerns you have with that kind of injury for both those guys. Uh, I think you hit on it with Jamison Williams. Um, for Metsy, I think the concern is he's considered to be more the technician as a route runner. So with that, having to put that foot in the ground at the top of routes, right, mm-hmm. and get in and out of his breaks, that's something that, I'll be interested to see from him. Um, I think it helps him too that there's some physicality involved to his game that I think helps him uh, in addition to his footwork and the precision of his routes. Uh, But you hit on it too. I mean, medicine, rehab technology being what it is. uh, You know, the ACL is quickly becoming kind of what the high ankle sprain is. It feels like anyway, certainly there's a, a bigger window in terms of recovery that's still required, but it doesn't seem like it's the year after the year of the injury that you start to see guys really make their return. And that's assuming that it's simply the ACL and there's not a lot of meniscus or MCL or a triad situation that Dante Hightower sustained so many years ago at Alabama. But even that was in 2009 and we are a light years removed from that era in terms of procedures and medicine and, and as you said, rehab technology. So let's talk about what's left of the Alabama wide receiver core. Looking ahead to the 2022 season, we've said it, no Jamison Williams, no John Metchie, Slade Bolton also uh, looking to make his move to the National Football League. We know that Javon Baker has moved on to Kentucky Xavier Williams has moved on to Utah State. In comes Jermaine Burton from Georgia. Heard some interesting things, I guess, from Mechie, too, in regards to maybe the next wave of receivers at Alabama here in the last day or so, Charlie, with, I guess, an emphasis on Ja'Cory Brooks. Yeah, both Mechie and Jameis Williams mentioned Ja'Cory Brooks, and he was really the only guy that they they brought up, which they didn't spend a lot of time talking about that, and that's to be expected. I mean, they're there talking about their future pro careers, but um, you just look at what Brooks was able to do last year, 15 catches, 192 yards, two touchdowns. He was the guy that really stepped up whenever you know Mechie went down in the SEC championship game, and you know he saw his role kind of uh, increase before that you know he was big uh, down the stretch in Auburn when Jamison Williams was ejected for targeting so I, I think he was able to step up um 
when Alabama needed him to. Uh, I don't necessarily know if he's a guy that Nick Saban was talking about in the national championship game. Uh, you know, he was someone that Saban and really everyone spoke really highly of, you know, throughout the season. So I, I think, you know, Ja'Cory Brooks could almost be penciled in as a starter just because he kind of finished the year as one. Um, it'll be really interesting to see what happens beyond that. Of course, a guy like Jermaine Burton coming in from Georgia, uh, you think he would have uh, a role as kind of the elder statesman of the room, uh, him and, and Treshawn Holden. Uh, but yeah, the wide receiver position for me, you know, going into the spring is is the most interesting or one of that and offensive tackle, uh, just because you look at the receiver position from last year, and then you know you throw in tight ends, running backs, guys that caught the football. Alabama's only returning, um, you know, twenty seven percent of his production from last season. That's a lot of catches, yards, touchdowns that are leaving Tuscaloosa with all three wide receiver starters moving on with Brian Robinson, moving on with uh, Jalil Billingsley and Javon Baker transferring out of the program. So uh, they're going to have to have some guys to step up and, you know, again, Brooks is at the top of that list, but you know, guys like Treshawn Holden and Ajay Hall, who got opportunities late in the season, a guy like Jermaine Burton, um, JoJo Earl, some of these new guys, it's it's going to be kind of wide open. And I'll be really fascinated to see how it plays out in the spring, you know, kind of how these guys are maybe broken up into the 8A game and spread across the, the two teams or the four teams, however many we see. But uh, yeah, wide receiver is, is going to be kind of wide open this offseason. And there's going to be opportunities for a lot of guys to you step into to new roles. I think you touched on it. It feels like Jermaine Burton and Ja'Cory Brooks and however you want to put them are almost not going to say guaranteed starting receivers, but between the X and the Z, the outside guys, it's hard to envision Jermaine Burton and Ja'Cory Brooks right now, not being those guys to open the 2022 season. Uh, Jermaine Burton, didn't transfer to Alabama to, to keep complimenting tight ends, right? No. I mean, he's, he's in Tuscaloosa for the target. So if we assume that with Burton and Brooks, that third guy, Jojo Earl, Christian Leary, you said Treshawn Holden. I like Treshawn Holden. I think, I think Bryce Young likes Treshawn yeah. Holden. Mm-hmm. What I need to see from Treshawn Holden is more polish, more separation, um, but certainly third down, maybe red zone. You, you can envision him there. And in terms of upside, there may not be a guy that we're going to talk about who has as much of that as a Jai Hall. So where do you go next with the third guy, at least to start spring drills and kind of get us going there? Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what they do with Burton, where he plays, because I think they can move him around. Um, you know, if, if he starts in the slot, which I'm not projecting that I'm just, this is to maybe get the three best on the field to start the game with him and Brooks, then you put Holden the other split in position or maybe a Jai Hall, you know, either or in that situation, because both of those guys I think are talented and you're right. I think Bryce Young has a good rapport, uh, with Treshawn Holden, you know, coming in at the same time with him and, you know, working, uh, with that second team and, um, you can tell just in, in last year's A-Day game, you know, he looked for him a lot. And uh, yeah, he's a, he's a guy that I think if he puts it all together can be uh, a real asset for Alabama. But, you know, if, if Burton is, you know, the the X or the Z, you look at the, the slot options, you know, JoJo Earl's coming back. 
but I know Tim Watts is really high on a guy like Aaron Anderson, the true mm-hmm. freshman coming in. You know, those true freshmen, I'm going to be really interested to see just how much they push some of these older guys. I think they're certainly capable you know, with with five freshmen coming in, six total newcomers, including Burton. You know, those guys bring a lot of speed to the position, and, and that's something that Nick Saban obviously wanted last year, going out and getting a guy like Jamison Williams. And you know, these guys are are track athletes, and uh, I think a lot of them are probably going to be able to get on the field because of it. And you know, if the the older guys like Holden and Hall are you know continue to be inconsistent, and like we've talked about with Brooks and and Burton, you know, kind of being um, penciled in as starters. I could see a guy like Aaron Anderson, you know, getting some real play there in the slot with the guys like Joe Girl and, and others. So it's it's really open. Um, you know, Christian Leary, I think, deserves to be mentioned in that regard as well, just because um, you know he played running back last year out of necessity. You know, those guys might do that again in the spring because of the injuries to Jace McClellan and Roydell Williams still you know lingering. But um, the the receiver position has talent it just doesn't have a lot of experience and you know it's going to be important this spring this summer in the preseason for these guys to lock in to you know get as many reps as they can with Bryce Young and uh just to be consistent because you know they're going to be needed to step up with all three starters leading yeah I think the comparisons are going to be made between Jermaine Burton and Jamison Williams but in terms of of the way he plays and sort of his makeup physically, I see more John Mechie in yeah. Jermaine Burton than I see Jamison Williams. I see more Jamison Williams and say to Corey Brooks, you know, kind of that true X. And maybe as you said, Burton can do some different things. I think his versatility is going to go a long way in helping them sort of figure out that third receiver and, it could be a mix of guys. You know, it could be situational. You're still going to have Camla too in that mix uh, as far as options at the tight end position. So a lot of things to consider in connection to Alabama's wide receivers for the upcoming season. Hey, uh, Charlie, before we get out of here, you, you keep it up with the, the righteous gemstones. Uh, you, you, you still, you're still watching. What are you doing there? Catching <laughs> we, up? It, it's a snail's pace right now. Um, did you get but, the, did you get to the Outback scene? No, not, not yet. Not oh yet. my gosh. I know we've had, you know, I've had a, some things. If you survived up. baby Billy standing up in the tub <laughs> when he made his introduction, you, you, you'll, you'll be okay. As long as you survive that. Yeah. That episode. Sweet Ambrosia. They, that, and then the, <laughs> Aunt Tiffany. the, the, yeah, <laughs> the Sears, um, oh, it, oh. a lot of, Oh geez, a lot of hang down. Billy with that uh, mannequin arm. Oh my gosh! <laughs> but uh, that thugs, that was the last thugs, one. The bunch of you. That was the last one we've seen. Um, okay. Yeah, we did a little bit oh. of the stalemate, but no, I'm I'm looking forward to it. It was entertaining. Um, you know, the wife was all in on Euphoria. I just couldn't get into oh, it. Wow. As much. You know, I haven't gone there with Euphoria. As a parent, I'm scared. Even though yeah, the kids I mean, are grown, I'm still scared. Well, the thing is, and I don't know, there's probably not a ton of Euphoria fans listening to this. <laughs> I, I kind of, I, I halfway pay attention to it, and it's just, I, I, it doesn't seem as realistic to me as, as some things, mm-hmm. just because it's like the, the the last couple episodes centered around a play at school, and that play would never be allowed at any school to take part. Like it would, it would just not. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot that goes on. Um, 
there's a lot of mature things in that show and there's a lot of people that like it and I'm surprised my wife does, but, uh, yeah, that she finished that up and, and now, um, now I have control over HBO max again. So we'll be finished. I brought you here pretty soon. Yeah. I mean, yeah. look, I would suggest getting all the way caught up with the gemstones, but even if you don't just get to the outback scene with BJ <laughs> and Judy Lee, just, just do that. And if you, if that's all you get through, then I, I think that's, that's quality, but yeah. Yeah. I will say though, too, like we, we talked about the familiarity I had with this show, just being, um, from where I'm from and, you know, growing up in oh, a, wow. a Baptist church, like church lunch is a thing. And I mean, not to the extent of the, the gemstones or even the, absolutely the things that transpire there, but, uh, you know, church lunch is a thing. And uh, I always look forward to church lunch. Sundays in the South, man, if you're not in church, you better get to your brunch oh, yeah. lunch destination by 1130. Or just wait until at least one. Yeah, or two. You know, just forget about it. Absolutely. And the church, the church lunch scenes on the gemstones, I can tell you, I'm not spoiling anything. They keep them coming through the next <laughs> season. So uh, yeah. don't worry about that. They're not going anywhere. They're great. Absolutely. Well, Charlie, we appreciate it, as always, taking the time with us here on the Bama Online Podcast. Always great stuff. I know you're going to keep us up to speed with the NFL Combine. As you said earlier, you've got Alabama baseball with a home series this weekend. Softball continues to roll on. Big stretch coming up for both the Alabama men and women's basketball teams. The Alabama women on Thursday set to take on Georgia in the second round of the SEC women's basketball tournament up in Nashville. Christy Curry's team got a first-round win over rival Auburn on Wednesday. 3-0 and this season, Alabama women against the Auburn Tigers. So a lot to keep up with. Spring practice is upon us, so you're definitely going to want to post up with us. On the roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans around the world. Charlie, have a great weekend, my friend. All right, man. Always good to catch up. For Charlie Potter, Travis Ryder, thanking you once again for joining us here on the Bama Online Podcast. Until next time, so long, everybody. Greetings, Fantasy Warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll elevate your roster to legendary status. Puka Nakua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here.